0: Hello, friends! Welcome, welcome. Come on in. Grab a seat or a poof or whatever you would like to sit in. A poof? What the hell is a poof? I guess you could call it a beanbag. Did you just make that up? No, I didn't make
1: up a poof. Poofs exist. I don't think we have poofs in the writer's room right
0: now? Yeah, we do. They're right over there in the corner. Those big things that look like pillows.
1: What? Yeah, it's a pile of laundry. Those are all my hoodies. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> the poof was just the friends we made along the way. Which <laughs> just so happened to be my hoodies.
0: Well, all right. <laughs> anyway. Guys and gals and non-binary pals.
1: Welcome to the long-awaited sequel, to Notes with the Narrator Queries! Yes.
0: Yes. Welcome back to Newton Queries
1: Part 2. Community Questions Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: I was just about to say that. So... If you are new to Newton Queries, they are found in our Discord, Hands of the Rose, and it's where you can ask us questions. Us personally, Evan, Patrick, and myself, or in character, Jesse, Wayland, and every other character I play. And Greg. Oh, and Gregory. You can ask Gregory questions now as well.
2: Yes. He is now an established character. Because apparently
1: that's in my contract, I guess. I, I don't know. That's, um. Uh... It's news to me.
2: Look, you signed it. The
1: people want you, Gregory. Well, well, I mean, you don't have to tell me twice. (laughs) Will there be dairy? No. No. Oh, all right. Okay,
0: fuck yeah. (laughs) This is a dairy-free establishment.
1: All right, I'm in. All right. You said the magic words. Perfect.
0: Anything that has a quill beneath it means it will be answered eventually. It has been People noted. People don't know what that
1: means unless they're in our Discord. Exactly. Yes. exactly. You should join the Discord. To you ask
0: should all. join the Discord so you can ask questions. Or you can at us in our Twitter at Writers Room 7th. Yes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. yes? At Writers Room 7th. Hashtag Newton queries NWTN queries and ask us any question you like. About the podcast. Let me let me stipulate. Yeah. <laughs> About the podcast.
1: <laughs> I mean, we'll take whatever question. You,
0: you can even ask us random questions. You know what? AMA.
1: Favorite flavor
2: of ice cream? Non-dairy ice cream.
0: Non-dairy.
2: Dinosaur crunch. Italian ice. Ah, there you go.
0: Or mm-hmm. er, ice.
2: <laughs> Vodachi ice. <laughs> really. Careful,
0: it's sharp. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Sorbet, specifically grapefruit sorbet.
0: Okay, let's get into these because we have a lot.
1: Okay, so for a bit of clarification, these questions mainly have been asked to us on our Discord. If you are in the Discord, anything that has been asked that we will be answering will have a little blue quill underneath it. That is the clarification that I would like to make. If it's got a green check mark, we've already answered it.
0: Mm hmm. There were two questions that we kind of skipped, and that's because they were the big questions. And at the time, you and you, which I am referring to because you can't see me pointing at the screen. (laughs) Oh, you were referring to us. I'm referring to you two. Didn't have answers for them at the time. And so now we can answer them. So the Merry Fool asks us, what do the crew think of the relationship between Waylon and Jesse? We half answered this. I believe Cosette answered, Mama Coco answered, and Charles answered. So we have a couple more crew members to go through if you would like to pick one and answer as that character.
2: Hmm. I think I'm going to answer for boots because that's an accent that I know I can do fairly well.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, God, we're doing an accent, so
2: sh- Yeah, <laughs> yep. Uh, okay. Well, you know... I think it's very nice that they have such a solid friendship, but sometimes I think they can be a bad influence on each other. Not necessarily in a detrimental sense, more in the lines of they get into some pretty crazy nonsense when they do. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it's very nice to see the boys having such a, a lovely friendship and being able to rely on each other.
0: I love that answer. Do you want to answer as Roz, Evan?
1: Uh, no 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 absolutely not (laughs) no no absolutely Uh, not yeah no (laughs) um let me let me see who i can answer Ooh. okay hang on i have an idea all right i'm intrigued actually
0: i will say there is one stipulation you cannot answer is elliot
1: that's fine i wasn't gonna do elliot elliot's not part of the crew yet (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to find the right thing to read. One second. Okay. All right, let's see how this goes.
0: Okay. I am a ship that can be made to ride the greatest waves. I am not
2: built by tool, but built by hearts and minds. What am I? Ursa, are you a friendship?
1: that's that's just fucking (laughs) delightful i love that so much (laughs) Uh,
0: and then the
1: little laugh afterwards
0: ursa is best girl
1: (laughs) (laughs) that was so dumb (laughs) i want you to edit that so it's like how she could normally yes i will like all gross and
0: Hold on. It's not gross. Oh,
1: God, no. It's gravel.
2: It's pretty gross. <laughs> not me, Argyle. Are you
1: calling me gross? Jesus Christ. lash. I am. That's rather nasty. You're one
2: to talk. For anybody listening to that, that is not voice modulated at all. That is Zoe's voice. Can we acknowledge that, please? Because that was insanely I don't impressive. I don't want to
1: acknowledge that. Oh, God.
2: So Warmly fucking dope.
1: Do <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> fucking
2: wild how you learned how to do that with your voice. That's dope.
0: It's so silly. I was trying to do a deeper voice, and I realized that I could vibrate my vocal cords the lower that I got, and I was like, what if I just, like, tried to exercise those cords? And while I was driving, I would just grumble and make the voice and go deeper and deeper and deeper, and I trained my vocal cords to rumble. I don't even know if I can fucking follow that. Actually, I can follow that up. Yes. You know, I think the Capitano and Method Arms and Graywell are very handsome, and... <laughs> To top it off, I think they make a fantastic couple. <laughs> oh, you were talking about how they interact with the shit. Oh, greatest captain ever. I've never seen a man with more beautiful eyes in my life. Did I mention that they're handsome? <laughs> yes, Roz, you mentioned that they're handsome. Okay. Thank you, Roz. <laughs> so, yeah, we stop with three
2: yeah, I think that's good.
0: Yeah. And then we come back to that question. The Merry Fool, I promise I will string all of this together in a later article, and we will hear all of them together. Yes. We move on to the other big question that we had, which is from Grum.
1: Groom? Grum? Groom? I think it's Groom. What's boy, Jamie?
0: What other media characters' stories inspired the characterization of Jesse and Wayland?
1: jesse to me doesn't necessarily have a straightforward origin i think as i was building him as i was creating him these pieces just felt right i was originally gonna play another character that i already have pre-established in a different world a woman by the name of jacqueline hart and i was totally convinced i was gonna play jacques she's a sassy gay irish lass wouldn't be irish anymore
0: it's totally not Irish. Thank which you. is not
2: far
1: off as far as spelling goes. I love it. For this, I wanted a character who was entirely separate from anyone who I've played before. If I did play Jacques, however, the Rose would not be a thing. Mm-hmm. We would have been the crew of the Molly May, which is Jacques' ship.
2: I would love to see you bring Jacques into the world of Seven Sea at some point.
1: I do too. She's so awesome. I'm a big fan of Jacques. <laughs> I would hope so. You created her. Yeah, she just has a special place in my heart. In terms of other media or characters or stories, nothing has immediately jumped out at me as I've been thinking about this question. It's so boring. (laughs) I want to be able to mess around with a Caribbean or Barbados accent, and I wanted to play someone who had ties to Thea. The Spanish are passionate, and they're so suave, and... I wanted Jesse to kind of fit into both of those categories somehow, and I think in that combination it worked out perfectly being born in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the Atabayan during a storm, Castilian mother, and who knows what father.
2: If I may offer some outside insight as your friend, I think a lot of it comes from your personality as well. You yourself are a very passionate person, and you have a very deep appreciation for your own heritage. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that laid very heavily into Jesse's characterization and how that character was built. And I think that's true of a lot of characters that we build for TTRPGs. I, Evan's partner, Maddie, is our DM for our d d home game. And... She has like a small psychological profile for each of us based on our characters. (laughs) It's weird. It's a little weird, but it, it does make sense. I think that that's true for a lot of people. I think we draw on aspects of our personality to create these characters because it helps us play them more true to life.
1: Yeah. I think the only specific, not necessarily media or any outside influence, but I've always wanted to play a pirate who's not as flamboyant and wily as Captain Jack Sparrow or any normal swashbuckler. I wanted to play a soul who is calm and is focused and knows what he's doing, mainly because I am also in the middle of playing a barbarian in our D&D game, someone who is having anger issues. I felt like that could have been an interesting foil in a way, I think, Both of those characters have their own similarities, but I wanted Jesse to be a different kind of pirate. Someone who's very confident in what he does, but not in an aggressive (laughs) sort of way.
2: Which is very interesting that you gave him the things that you did as far as sorceries go and as far as, you know, what leads into those abilities.
1: Sure, yeah. I love that. What about you, Pat? What do you got with Wayland?
2: It's very funny that you bring up that you're playing a barbarian currently because I'm playing a paladin currently, and boy howdy if I didn't just create a paladin pirate. Let's be entirely honest with ourselves. He's a Knight of Avalon. Yep. Waylon's got a couple different uh, inspirations as far as real life and popular media goes. The biggest one, I think the most obvious one for anybody who's been paying attention is... There's a deleted scene in Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End where Jack is talking to Admiral Norrington, I believe it was.
0: Oh, no, that's Cutler Beckett.
2: Drops just this little hint of lore that Jack used to work for the East India Trading Company. And the reason that he left and became a pirate was because they asked him to transport slaves.
0: People aren't cargo, mate.
2: That one line shaped a lot of Wayland's backstory and a lot of his characterization and how he views the world. I've sort of taken it in its own direction from that one base idea. And then as far as character archetypes go, there is a not-so-famous World War I sniper who was, in fact, the most accomplished sniper in World War I. He was a Canadian First Nation soldier by the name of Francis, and I'm going to butcher this last name, Pegambagabo. What? P-E-G-A-H-M-A-G-A-B-O-W. Magabo.
1: Okay, love that.
2: And he was known as the Ghost in the Trenches.
1: Mm. That's a
2: cool name. There's a song by Sabaton that's all about him, and then I love them because they sing about history, and I am a huge history nerd.
0: And it's heavy metal.
2: And it's just awesome. So I was reading up on him around the time when I was creating Weyland's character, and I was like, oh, I want to play a sniper who does not care about being well-known, who is just dedicated to their craft and... In the introduction, Wayland refers to himself as a ghost across the masts. And so that's where a lot of that came into play. But then the rest of Wayland's characterization, as far as his personality goes, very much similar to you, Evan, doesn't really come from anywhere. It comes from me being the awkward bean that I am, but <laughs> also he takes himself fairly seriously when it comes down to it. He's sort of listless in life. He's been trying to find his path for a long time and he's just starting to get there now. I have Scottish heritage myself. It is an accent that I know how to do very well. At least I think any of our Scottish listeners, please feel free to tell me otherwise.
0: A lot of people have commented that when they listen to the session zero, the very first time we hear Wayland is in that Scottish accent. And I believe it was Sam who said, I thought you had a friend directly in Scotland playing the game with you yeah. <laughs> because your voice was spot on.
2: Hell yeah. Brilliant. That is sort of Wayland's origins and the things that inspired his creation.
0: Heck yeah. Something that we haven't really talked about, there is another mechanic in 7th C. It's called concept and creation. It happens at step zero of character creation. Yes, step zero. It's extremely important. It's called the game of 20 questions, where the system asks you 20 questions about your character, and that also helped create these iconic people. We will delve more into that in a special notes with the narrator all about Jesse and Wayland, and we'll go over those questions. I promise you. But moving on from there, Our next question comes from Keith. Mm -hmm. What magic slash powers does La Rosa Blanca have, if any? And this is in reference to when the ship's crew charters
2: merged. Ah, yes.
0: Now, technically, this is a bit of a spoiler. I cannot reveal what exactly it is, but I can go ahead and tip my hand. La Rosa Blanca does have some powers.
2: But that is going to be answered in a future episode, yes.
0: I'm going to combine these next two questions because they're about the same topic. One is from Ellie, and the other is from Finord. Ellie wants to hear more about Mama Coco's capsevi, and Finord wants to know who is Captain Agwe, and specifically, what are their mets, which means what's their magic mechanically. The introduction was phenomenal in my eyes, and I'd like to know more about the lore. Well, the inspiration for Captain Agwe I looked through the book and I was like, okay, I need a Kapsevi that deals with the ocean and with ships and monsters because we're in the Sea of Monsters. I need something like that. Kapsevi being based off of voodoo culture and there wasn't. And so I looked up certain voodoo patrons and gods and things like that. And there happened to be a patron of sailing and of ships. And that was, in fact, Agwe. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take that, I'm going to put it in game, and I'm going to flavor it with some 7th Sea Spice. Hi, everybody. Edited Zoe here. This question is also answered by Mamakoko herself in Article 12. That's the narrative description of that magic. The mechanical description is this, and I'm going to break it down like this. Grand Met just means spell. She has a gross, which is big, and two T's, T-I, which is small. So she has one big spell, two small spells. Big spell is that she can control a ship as long as she grabs the helm of it and turn it into a living being, like a monster. However, she shares the health pool with it. So if the ship takes a critical hit, she takes a dramatic wound, vice versa, and she can become helpless because of this, and even killed. Her two small spells... She can summon eels to aid her, and these eels can follow a simple single command, as long as she is not disturbed while she is conversing with them. You all saw what happened when things went south. And the last spell is called the True Captain. Captain Ogaway always knows where North is, and knows where every sailor is at any point in time. They can make a connection with a sailor, figure out general mood of that sailor, and even see through their eyes. However, once they're detected, they are forced out of that, so it's a little bit of a dangerous game. But that's it in a nutshell, and I will post them in game props in case you wanted to use this Loa in your game. And speaking of sorceries, Daglin has some questions for us.
2: So there's a question from Daglin who has several questions, actually, about the glamour system. The first one, is your character supposed to have the same virtue and hubris as the knight you mantle? The answer is no. So it's actually not dictated in the book what hubris or virtue each particular knight had. The thing that is dictated as far as glamour goes are your major and minor sorceries. For Paga, the major trait was finesse and the minor trait was panache. And so there are certain sorceries, there are certain glamours that you can choose from each of those categories. As far as the virtue and hubris go, no. I picked uh, Particular Virtue and Hubris for Wayland. I picked The Drowned Man for those of you who have listened far enough to know a little bit more of Wayland's backstory is a bit on the nose. (laughs) Uh, A bit. I'd say it's
0: exactly on the nose.
2: Yeah. Zoe, I believe once we had chosen the backstory, you had pointed that out to me and I was like, "Oh, Oh, well that's too perfect.
0: I will say that. There is a way that you can have the same virtue and hubris as your mantle. There is another level that you can take of glamour. It's basically perfecting the avatar of the knight you embody. It's technically a legendary glamour. The way how I've read it and the way how I've played it in other games is it's like Highlander. There can only be one. Mm. So in this game, there can only be one person embodying Paga and... It chose Wayland. Technically, it chose Samwell, but stayed with Wayland when they decided to transition. So there is a perfected version of Paga, which can be found in Nations of Theia Volume 1. Don't
2: me as they go and look that up at the moment. This is new information for me, folks.
0: <laughs> that is page 50, Patrick. The way how you achieve this is you have to do a certain story and you have to change both your virtue and your hubris to match. Yes. And also your quirk changes. Really? You'd have to change the knight quirk that you have already.
2: Interesting.
0: It is something you can do. Wayland has not currently.
2: Grail debt. It says how you can get into debt, but it seems to be a one-way ticket to a curse as I don't see a way to pay off said debt. There is actually a mechanic to pay off the debt. That is up to the GM as far as what that is and how severely you have broken the Grail's Geysa. You're essentially paying penance, and once that penance is paid, the curse is removed. Quote-unquote curse.
0: And we technically did do this with Wayland. Some of your spells that you can access were blocked off. We saw that Wayland could subsume the ship as Samwell in a flashback. He could no longer do that, and that mechanically was between they and I, that I had locked off that part of his magic.
2: Yeah, that even if I had leveled up and wanted to take those sorceries, I would not have been able to until I had fulfilled that part of the story.
0: Which I made him pay off the debt using shade. Again, that is completely up to GM discretion. Part three of this very long question about glamour, how do you tell your glamour rank? That's based off of how many times you buy the sorcery.
2: Yeah, every single time you fulfill a story, you gain number of points that you can spend on either advantages or traits or skills. That is entirely based on the player. You can also use those points to buy into more ranks in Glamour. As far as how I keep track of that, I write down either rank one, rank two, rank three on my character sheets. Thankfully, it's very simple. Usually, you can use this ability for an hour equal to your rank in this glamour. So I've got rank two. It's like, cool, two hours.
0: Or ten feet plus
2: your rank. Yeah, exactly.
0: And then the follow-up to this is, do you have experience with first edition? Can you compare and contrast? I personally do not. I read some of the first edition books, never got to play them. I found them a bit crunchy, which I don't mind. I don't mind a lot of extra crunch in the lore, but I did find it a little constricting. Everything was laid out pretty much to a T. The timeline was solid and structured, and it wasn't as freeform as 2nd edition is. And I clearly prefer being able to tell my own story within the story, and 2nd edition allows for that. Not that 1st edition wouldn't, it's just a little bit more of a linear path.
2: There's a couple more questions on mantles. I think we should come back to those. I agree. And then I would love to go to Daiglin's next question.
0: Yes. Daiglin's next question. What magic is Luciana tied to? Glamour Isles, Montaigne, Castile, Vadachi, Ison? And is she tied to Jesse or the ship?
1: That is a wonderful question. Luciana isn't tied to any of those places, in fact. She is tied to Ifrit. It's a background that La Rosa Blanca has. It's called Round the Horn, and it literally uh, is referring to the Horn of Ifrit. The ship has good fortune from Luciana, who we know as Little Lucy. Once per game, a hero on the ship can spend a hero point to use the ship's good fortune to re-roll any number of dice in a risk they just made. So long as they are on board the Rose, we do have a little bit of a connection to, I believe, Rahuri? Is it Rahuri or Haragua? It's Rahuri. Yeah, okay.
2: We revealed while we were exploring the ends with an M.
1: Makaro.
2: Makaro, thank you.
1: Yeah, that was with uh, Jesse in the Heart of Matters. And the second part of that question is she tied to Jesse or the ship? So, Luciana came before Jesse. Luciana's been around for a while luciana was founded by jesse's mom sedona but because of the background i connect her with the ship obviously the ship has some deeper connection to jesse both jesse and sedona but in my head canon her innate connection is with the rose she brings the entire crew of the rose good luck
0: We did reveal that she does have some kind of spirit or has an ancestor, as Shade put it.
1: As well as plot armor.
0: I believe it was Quinn sent me. Hummingbirds only live between three and five years. What is going to happen to Luciana? If anything happens to Luciana, I will kill everyone and then... (laughs) No, Luciana will not be harmed in any way, shape, or form. She is protected by not only narrator plot armor, but also is a magic bird.
2: She's like a little phoenix. Has effective immortality.
0: Yeah. Ooh, this is a good question by Keith. Should the rose sustain lethal damage,
1: what would her crew do? That's a good question. No, you know what Jesse would do? Jesse goes down with the rose. Mm
2: -hmm. Wayland has a bit more of a pragmatic view of it, especially after seeing what happens to the Black Betty. A, throw a panic blanket around Hawthorne. (laughs) (laughs) You would have to. Tie them up and toss them in one of the (laughs) rowboats. And then I'm trying to think of what piece of the rose, if all was lost and there was nothing to do,
1: Oh, her black flag. Well,
2: the black flag for sure.
0: Technically, the black flag is just a piece of canvas that you can remake.
1: But like what piece?
0: What iconic part of the ship makes
1: her the White Rose? I completely lost the name of the piece in the front. The figurehead? If Jesse's taking anything to rebuild the ship, which... I mean, he would try to take the figurehead, but of anything on the figurehead, it would be the rose that the figure is holding.
2: On the wheel of the ship, in the center piece, there is a rose, and I think Wayland would probably hold that out.
0: You wouldn't have to damage the ship too much more to remove that, whereas you'd have to break off the figurehead's hand in order to grab the rose that she is holding. Hi, Edited Zoe here again. The next question was Daglins, what are the different kinds of magic systems in the game? We discussed this at length and decided not to go through the full answer. Most of the magic can be found in the books. However, there is something that one of our other community members did that was amazing. Ellie actually made a fantastic list. Yes. Mm. Not only listing every magic available in the 7th universe currently, but where it is totally not from.
1: That is actually also in the notes for the narrator's queries. Yes. Ellie's a fucking champion for that. Oh, yeah. She's rad as fuck.
0: Ellie,
1: we love you. Yeah. We love you, baby. We love you and we appreciate you.
0: Thank you. It was... I am making the good soup symbol. Good soup. Thank you. (laughs) Hi, Edited Zoe here again. The follow-up to that question was what was the elevator pitch for each magic? There are so many magics that even sitting here with the elevator pitch for each one of them would take up a good chunk of time. So I'm only going to give the elevator pitch for the magic you have currently seen in the podcast for context. An elevator pitch, if you're not familiar with the term, is a one-sentence hook to get you into whatever topic you're talking about. So, here we go. Glamour Magic, from the Glamour Isles. Totally not the United Kingdoms. For those who cannot let the Arthurian legend die and want to become it. Porte, from Montaigne. Totally not France. For those who want to fast travel and say fuck the world while doing so. Charter Magic. Internationally known. Sign your name and blood on this sheet of paper, and you're tied to a ship. Forever. Capsevi from Haragua. Totally not post-revolution Haiti. They've got hoodoo, they've got voodoo, they've got things they haven't tried. And all of them have friends on the other side. Mowu. Also international. Tattoos that grant magic powers. Alchemia. From Castile, totally not Spain. It's alchemy, but the law of equivalent exchange can suck it. And now back to the episode. The next question that I would love to go over is Duke Royal asks, what is the point cost of part of the ship, part of the crew?
1: Any hero may spend a hero point. If they do, they can invoke the aid of an NPC crew member. As long as they are close enough and are able to lend help, the crew member can use one of their given advantages or abilities to to aid in that situation. Hero must describe how they are helping. The NPC cannot be asked for help the rest of the session. So, it's a single hero point.
0: To spend, but to buy it as an advantage. I did just give it to you guys, but there definitely needs to
2: be a cost. I think it's 4 It was given to us because Zoe wanted to introduce it as a new mechanic for the game.
0: Um, In game props, I made it a five-point advancement, but three if you're from
2: Aragosta. Can I make a suggestion? Sure. I think it would also be interesting that to take that five-point advantage, it should be a requirement that you complete at least... Two hero stories involving a member of the crew. Yeah. Because that deepens the relationship.
1: Yeah, it shouldn't involve everybody in the crew. For us, it involves everyone in the crew because we're a smaller group. But I think if you're a larger group, it should be a total of three crew members that you can potentially add in the future, depending on how many stories you complete. Absolutely. If you were to take a one or two step story to add an additional crew member into that advantage.
0: I love that I think that's rad. I like that a lot better than tacking on a point buy system. In order to take this advantage, you must have Married to the Sea, which allows you access to a ship, obviously. And you must have uh, three NPC stories.
2: At least. I like that a lot.
0: At least. And they can be quick one- or two-step stories, little episodic things. It doesn't have to be this big, grand, like, oh, this is a 20-step story.
2: Something that deepens the relationship and connection that you have to the crew from a story and narrative perspective that would incentivize them to come to your aid in such a dramatic fashion.
0: Absolutely. I like that a lot.
2: Build those connections, guys. Your GM is just as much a part of the crew as anybody else.
0: Yeah. We're playing too, whether you think so or not.
2: <laughs>
0: Daglin has a very good question. How does equipment work? Are there things like magic weapons? Let me tell you, you can have whatever the fuck you want.
1: In accordance to your GM's game, Pat and I can have whatever we want. Yes. <laughs>
0: For this game, anything that makes narrative sense that would be on your character, such as Wayland having multiple guns and Jesse having explorer things on his person, such as a torch and some rope and things like that, makes total sense for his character. Of course you have it. Why wouldn't you? If I may pull from, oh, what is that D&D movie? Where the guy just is like, yeah, and I pull out my lightsaber. And it's like, no, you, you don't, where did you get the lightsaber? And it's like, oh, it's in the chest of stuff that you gave us. Well, fine, if I can't have a lightsaber, then a chainsaw! It's like, no, you can't have that. It doesn't make sense. Anything within the context of the character or player that they would make sense to have makes sense to me. Hi, Edited Zoe here again. I realize I didn't actually answer Daglin's question here. There is no rule for equipment in Seven C. There isn't even a page for it. Whatever you have, you have. The game is highly narrative, so whatever makes sense narratively, makes sense to have. The movie I was referring to is called The Gamers' Darkness Rising. If you haven't watched it, I highly suggest watching it. It's on YouTube for free. It's hilarious. Go do the thing. Back to questions. And yes! There are magic weapons.
2: Wayland kind of has one.
0: Technically, yes.
2: There is an advantage that you can take called Signature Weapon, where you can spend a hero point to have it do a number of different things.
0: I am really sorry about this. Editing Zoe here again. We didn't quite answer the question and went directly into the next one, so here I am answering it now. We didn't finish answering the question because we took a quick water break. So we came back and completely forgot to finish the question, so here I am, finishing the question. So here I am, answering the question that we didn't finish answering. Magic items in the game are often, if not always, a Cernith artifact. These came from the Cern, which were a race of beings before man, which were wiped out. None of them exist today, and no one knows what happened to them. But they left their entire civilization behind for man to find. Elliot is one such man. As we've heard in the podcast, Elliot is an explorer who specializes in finding searnith artifacts, ruins, the like. So, magic items do exist, they are, in my game, the form of searnith artifacts, and they always have a drawback. They are powerful things, and they do not come without a cost. If you listen back to Article 4, where they found that sword that summoned ghosts, or even Article 12, when they bought the Widow's Veil sails, those are examples of magic items, which in this game are called Syrnith artifacts. And now we continue.
2: Keith asks an interesting question. Can someone hold more than one knight's mantle at the same time?
1: No! No, I agree.
2: You know how you would have in D&D, you would be able to spec into multiple different classes. It would be like taking the paladin class twice, taking two different paladin oaths, which are very contradictory. And a lot of the knights do contradict each other as far as what their belief systems and how they operate
1: goes. Hey, consider multiple personality disorder.
2: Oh, that would be interesting. If you find a way in your home game for that to be interesting and not too overpowered and you could only use one mantle at a
1: time. If you can convince your GM to do so, fucking do it. Do it.
2: Do it. For us, no. no. In y'all's headcanons, how our mantle is often passed down. I think there are two different ways a mantle can be passed on to a next person Either the person currently holding the knight's mantle dies, and therefore the mantle is, you know, naturally passed down. Or they break the geisa to such a degree that the knight decides to part with them. That they have become so antithetical to the knight's values and to the values of the grail that...
0: They are no longer worthy of the mantle.
1: And they are abandoned by the knight. I agree. For me, I see it in two similar ways. One way is... Yes, the knight dies and it gets passed on, similar to how the Avatar is reincarnated, again Avatar: the Last Airbender, or you know, Aang or Korra. Or I think it would be interesting is if the knight were still alive but wished to physically pass the mantle down. They would knight someone else in their stead. Ooh, if it was a choice. Yes. Interesting.
0: I agree with all of those.
1: So Wayland potentially could do that in the future if he so chose that'd be super interesting
2: yeah i like that the last little tidbit this is kind of a a funny one if two holders of the knight's mantle had one child would one or both of the knights try to sway
1: the child to choose to hold their mantle just because you have offspring doesn't mean that offspring is directly tied to the mantle yes they're tied via blood kind of but not to the original mantle
2: and i think the knights are very picky You had two knights who married each other, had a child, and that child either didn't embody either of the knights or only embodied the one. I don't think it would necessarily be a fight to nurture them in one way or another. I think that they would probably let that individual develop as they would. And if they did happen to fit one over the other, I don't think there would be any hard feelings.
0: The mantles are a lot like cats. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they choose their bearer
2: I'm just picturing Paga pissed at Wayland, just kind of like in shadow form just inching one of the guns off the table like no stop it don't that, that, Paga and just looks at Weyland and knocks it off
0: <laughs> yes absolutely
2: fuck you and then disappears
0: <laughs> <laughs> Feed me, <laughs> oh,
2: <feed> me.
0: <laughs> But yes, that's how I've envisioned them is that the mantles are a lot like cats. They choose who gets to wear them and who embodies them the best. Yes. So I think we're on to Ellie. Ellie asks, is there anyone on board who's a duelist?
1: Hmm. I don't know, we uh, just have to wait around and find out.
0: Unfortunately, I cannot answer that because it's spoilers.
1: Aye, that be spoiler territory. Oh God, it's Spoiler john. Spoiler
0: Jonah. Jonah's here.
1: Spoiler is <laughs> here to hang for a moment. Yep. Just to be one of the cool kids. <laughs>
0: yeah, of course you're the cool kid. I'm
1: hip with them young folk.
0: Absolutely. You in fact have new no hips, I hear.
1: Yes, <laughs> A lovely lad who didn't want them no more. Uh, A cannon decided his fate might be better off without them.
0: Okay. okay that's that's good to hear.
1: Regardless spoilers. stay tuned to find out. And yeah, listen to Greg, no damn dairy.
0: Thank Thank you, Jonah. Our next question, I hope I don't mispronounce it. Yeah,
1: have fun with this one.
0: (laughs) Rayfadain. Raffadain? Rayfadain.
1: Rayfadain. Ray.
0: That one. Ray. Ray. Hi, Ray. We're sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate you.
0: Ray asks for Evan and Patrick.
1: Hey, that's us. Yeah.
0: What is a favorite advantage that you almost took for your character, but decided not to, and maybe why you changed your mind?
1: I am going to argue that we don't answer it like that and answer it what our favorite advantage that we have taken is because we might plan to take that advantage in the future because there are a lot of advantages that I'm super interested in. There
2: were a couple advantages that I was thinking of taking from the beginning that I do have some machinations for the future because I was a new player and hadn't really experienced doing... Stories before and playing within the system and wanted to learn it a little bit more before taking the advantage. What's foul weather, Jack? Yep. We both
1: look at that now. Not knowing how useful it would be.
2: Not knowing how useful it would be, but also not wanting to fall into a situation where my eyes were bigger than my stomach. Now is a different story. We have about a year of playing under our belt, and I feel much more comfortable the story system and everything like that so we will see for the future
0: foul weather jack is an advantage that allows you to have two stories running at once
2: so evan what's one of your favorite advantages that you have currently
1: so (laughs) one that's come up as a joke every so often but is actually an advantage that i have an actual letter of mark from the king of castile himself King Sandoval. Oh my God. Yes, that's right. King Sandoval is about a 12 year old boy in Castile and Jesse has a letter of Mark from him. We don't know why yet. We don't know if it'll ever be useful. Hasn't but been useful yet. I wanted that from the very moment we started. I saw that and I was like, ooh, Zoe, I gotta have it. And Zoe's like, all right, you're weird, but sure, go for it, pal. Odd flex, but all right.
0: Every single time we run across... I
1: pull out the letter of Mark. from the 12-year-old king of guests. Oh, he doesn't need it? Okay. (laughs) So much of Jesse is built around the Devil's Due, and I I don't want to get in too much of it, because we'll enter spoiler-Jonah territory for real this time.
0: We actually don't want that at all, so thank you, Jonah, for...
1: Yep! (sighs) No problem, we're gonna go back and watch a squid game or something, I can't I know. <laughs> I'll catch you later. All right, thank you, Jonah.
0: Bye, Jonah.
1: Devil's Due has pretty much laid the foundation for Jesse's overarching story. During character creation, I was like, what can I do to make Jesse spicy? Oh, yeah.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> and so he was like hey these are all the sorceries you can give him a tattoo from Mo. You can give him an ancestral spirit i was like ah, i'm doing that already in another game and she's like well there's this thing called devils 2 wait what's that about she's like oh it's just making a deal with a devil oh yeah i want to do that and so he's like well wait wait really you want to do that i was like yeah i want to do that that sounds awesome you, you what? <laughs>
2: you and me and the devil makes three.
1: Yeah, I, God, I fell into that real quickly and have fallen in love with it so much. Everything about it, I adore. And then honest misunderstanding, which I don't know if they've gotten to yet, but God, I love, I love that stupid fucking advantage. It's so dumb.
0: It's real good. It's real good. It's dumb. It's
2: good my favorite stupid advantage is barter. I have never used it. <laughs> That's right. I didn't even know you had it. What does it do? You can spend a hero point to barter. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> Did you get this on character creation?
2: Yes. yes. <laughs> he has I really it. thought it was going to be more useful than it is. Wow. Yeah, it literally <laughs> oh, let me get in here.
1: We're gonna get to a point where we need to barter with the letter of mark and we're gonna be all over it. It's gonna be great. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing.
2: You
0: guys are gonna like leap through the fucking podcast hey, like... at
2: me.
1: Snowy! I have a thing!
2: I could do this! <laughs> <laughs>
1: My time has come. <laughs> like a... We're just Wayland and Jesse slow running (laughs) down the beach. It's the entire crew of the Rose, except <laughs> Cosette is just way far behind. She's just walking because of her, her leg. <laughs> she can't be arsed to, to deal with it. She's just like, ah, he stupid.
0: <laughs> Barterer, spend a hero point to convince someone to cut you a deal, give you a reasonable discount, or assure someone who knows you that you're good for it. Pat,
1: you didn't even. U- oh, you bastard. You. Oh. I'm a dumbass. We could have used that for the fucking sales. We could have used that for your fucking lantern. You just... Well, it's just one of those things where she's got like a bunch of junk shit and I'm
2: like, alright, well I don't want to undercut her and these things are extremely valuable. Oh, you can barter with more than just money. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for the future. (laughs) For Zoe, same question, but maybe for a previous character of yours or maybe even the deceased evener.
0: Ah. I would love to sit here and gush about my beautiful war veteran Eisen monster hunter daughter.
2: About Petra. I love her very much. We do too.
0: But for the sake of the podcast, I will keep it in context. I really wanted to give Evenrood the student of combat advantage as well as Duelist Academy, as well as this terrible... Duelist maneuver, which makes him deal twice the amount of wounds compared to his rank. I really wanted to make him like a terrifying duelist villain, but I decided not to give him Student of Combat. And I should have given him Student of Combat because Jesse wiped the floor with Even Rude because he thought outside of the duelist box, which we'll talk about in a later. Notes of the Narrator. Sorry, not sorry. On to the next question, from Kay Hughes. Are spirits from Thea less powerful outside their home turf? In example, in the Ataban. Like, are Fae less terrifying outside of Avalon? I don't know guys, are Fae less terrifying outside of Avalon?
2: Nope, definitely not. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been to Avalon yet. Shade was pretty damn intimidating, not gonna lie. And also, it has been shown that they don't necessarily exist specifically in Avalon. Avalon is their home territory, but as we saw with Shade, the burial ground for the Telwith take lies in Makara.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That kind of goes to show how far reaching their influence can be. To get into a little bit of lore about it, I think that's left over from when the Fae had to go into hiding. Long time ago, there, and actually not even that long ago, up until fairly recently, there were not great relations between humans and Fae, especially in Avalon. They had to close the doors to Bryn Brasael. They completely sectioned themselves off from the rest of the world. And I imagine when that happened, there were some that were abroad that had to sort of make do where they were.
0: That's entirely true. I did take from the lore. I'm like, okay, cool. So uh, Bryn Brasael was locked away and could not go and travel to there, Bryn Brasael being the land of the Fae.
2: It's also sort of extra planar, (laughs) so it exists.
0: It's much like Porte Magic, it exists. And for a long time, it was shut off. And in this campaign, in this game, I decided to not seclude them to Avalon, but yes, they do have a lot of power in Avalon. However, there are very clear delineations as to what you can and cannot do in Avalon. There are just certain rules and regulations that you deal with in the home turf of Avalon, and they may have transitioned and changed wherever the fae are. In Makaro, for example, if the Telt with were still around, there would be different bylaws for them. To answer your question summed down into its base part, yes, they are slightly less powerful, but no less dangerous. Daeglin then asks, how do charters work? Are they different if you are running a Three Musketeers Princess Bride-style game instead of a pirate game? I can go ahead and answer that. For this game specifically, if I was running a Musketeers or Princess Bride-style game, charters would be absolutely different. They would still fundamentally be you sign a thing with a blood ritual, you get the advantage, you get the mechanic out of it. Uh, But yeah, that's how... Basically, charters are just a mechanic that you can add to the game if you choose to do it. And we chose to write out our own charter and get really deep down into the nitty gritty of it because we are a pirate game.
2: Evan, as far as charters work, seeing as you're the captain of the ship, Waylon's new to all of the charter magic and how that all works, but Jesse clearly has some knowledge of it considering he grew up around it. So as far as, like, from your perspective, what insights did
1: you have on that? Jesse was a younger pirate when he first signed the first charter for the White Rose when he was captain with his old crew. So I have a feeling that he didn't really think too much of it. He was probably a super cocky kid that was going after ships left and right just to prove to them that he could do it, that they could do it as a crew and then that kind of caught up with him and the rest of that crew. So, I don't know if he really spent the time that he needed to appreciate it, like he has now, but in his maturity he's now 32, soon to be 33. Jesse understands that blood is a little more sacred than just something that can be spilled. It helps tie families, it helps tie his friends. I think we both learned that lesson. Yeah, it's a piece of your soul. It's pretty important. And so I think after especially that encounter, I think he's treating charters with the respect they deserve. I think he's still learning specifically how to navigate the world using with a blood charter, like navigate life. But he understands that they are incredibly important, not only to him, but to everybody on board. It's like we talked about in our safety notes of the narrator, It is a social contract. Just this one is in blood. Mm -hmm. He holds it very dearly to him, especially as the captain. You know, he is responsible for all of these people and for making sure that that charter stays intact. He respects it much more than he used to. Hell yeah.
0: Which was really interesting because being a pirate is essentially being a brigand or a... Ruffian, You're an outlaw on the sea. And in order to make sure that your buddy doesn't stab you in the back, because you find huge thing of treasure that could potentially be worth a lot, they wrote up these charters so that they have rules too. And it was just rules. That's all they were. It was just punishable by whatever ship you were on and whatever captain was running it. And then along came, you know, at least for this game in my headcanon, along came... Jonah, and the story, which you can hear back in Notes for the Narrator, Crucial Lore, Pirate's Life for Me, along came that, and that happened before the very first charter that we hear about. That happened way, way, way long time ago, and that's when the Blood Charters, capital C charter, began, where it wasn't just, oh, your captain's going to slap you on the wrist or you're going to be marooned. It's like, no, you you get a physical curse mark saying I have wronged my crew and my ship and I must atone by seeking penance and asking for forgiveness. So that's how charters work. I will go ahead and say Daeglin dueling is going to be part of an entire notes with the narrator because it is much too big to just answer quickly.
1: This is an announcement here. It is going to be partially notes with the narrator, partially a one-on-one session with Someone and someone else. Obviously one of those people is Mm -hmm. Zoe. But
0: Yes, obviously. (laughs) 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 You have a 50-50 chance of guessing the correct player. (laughs) This is true. But yes, let's wrap this up with both of these questions wrapped into one, gentle bees. Hi, edited Zoe here again. The first question was from Keith for Evan and Patrick. One. What about 7C has come the easiest as you adjust from the other TTRPGs? Two, what has been the most fun aspect of the sessions? And one for Zoe, what has been the most fun part of watching Pat and Evan learn the ins and outs of the game? We decided to combine both of these questions and answer them both at once, because they pertain to each other.
2: Fenord asks... Bit of a meta question, but what are your inspirations in terms of tabletop game? What got you into the hobby? I recall for the first or second notes with the narrator, Zoe told us how she got into 7C as a system, but I'm kind of interested in the overall journey.
0: They already know my story.
2: As far as what got me into tabletop games in the first place, I wanna say probably eight or nine years ago. I think I was twenty twenty-one at the time. I played a homebrew of 3.5 and Pathfinder, played a single session with a couple friends of mine, and I liked it. I liked it quite a bit, but I was very heavily into LARP at the time. And at that time, I was young and stupid and didn't appreciate it as much because I liked more of the in-person roleplay of acting out the character and running around with you know swords and guns and everything in the LARP. And so I didn't really latch on to TTRPGs. During the pandemic, I was like, you know what? Now's a great time to get into D&D. And I knew that Evan, your lovely partner, Maddie, was DMing the game for you guys. And it just was very serendipitous that a spot had opened up at the table.
1: I convinced her to add you to the group.
2: Yay! Yeah. Thank you, buddy. And then very shortly afterwards... Zoe encouraged me.
1: I will also take credit for that because I
2: aggressively asked
1: Zoe all the time. Yes. If we could
0: play 7C. I'm pirates. Pirates. Can we play pirates?
1: I will play pirates. Yes. I think Zoe at one point was just like, wait, wait, you want, you want to, you want to play 7C? I'm like, that's what I've been trying to ask you for like <laughs> two months. I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't know. Does it, am I, how can I be more clear? I want to play. I want to play. <laughs> How can I be more clear? (laughs) I want to be pirate.
2: One of you had started a group in Discord and had added me to it. And you guys just started talking about it. And eventually, I think I just started getting text messages being like, Pat, 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 we're going to be pirates. (laughs) Come be pirates with us. And I just fully fell in love with the system from the get-go. I think probably one of the easiest things about 7C was that it's a highly narrative game. I am an actor. It is one of the things that I, I love to do oh shit, the most. Really? And oh you shut God. the fuck up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I had no idea.
2: Oh God, that great Gentleby Boy, I will slap the <laughs> shit out <at> of you. <laughs> And, yeah, just being able to play such a highly narrative game and just really, like, dig into the characters was so much fucking fun. Oh, God, I loved it so much. Um, And I still do, obviously, to this day. But I've only been playing for about a year's worth of time, playing PTRPGs, and changed my life. And you guys are a huge part of that. And I will forever, ever be grateful for that. And I, I love these pirates that we play with. I love this game, and I love you guys.
0: Quote unquote.
2: Oh or did you look up the messages? <laughs> oh no.
0: Me, December fourth, twenty twenty. Hello love. <laughs> I has a question for you. Answer from that great gentleman. Yes m? Me. You wish to play 7C, yes, because I have Evan hooked. He was at boxing with me while I was listening to my previous sessions.
2: Boxing being. Boxing at, at work. work. Boxing up Wormwood products.
1: <laughs> they're not. At- we weren't fighting. That would be a totally different story.
2: They don't have a fight club at work that I know of. And if they did, they're not allowed to talk
0: Exactly. So I figure you, Kels, Evan, in a game, probably run over Discord because the thing.
1: The Pandemic TM. (laughs) The thing being the the Pythagorean theorem.
0: Panini Press. uh...
1: (laughs) Panorama. In the middle of a pterodactyl.
0: Probably at the start of 2021, starting the year off with swashbuckling. That great gentleman. I have never played 7C. However, I would love that. I respond with the Tim Curry gif of him laughing. <laughs> pirates. <laughs> I will teach ye. Uh, on December fourth, twenty twenty, Patrick agreed to play pirates. Do you regret your decision?
1: Every day. <laughs> no, dear God, no. <laughs> so I would agree with a lot of that. What part of the system came the easiest to me? realistically i actually had a lot of trouble in the beginning pat and i kind of had some issues breaking apart from the very immediate moment to moment actions as opposed to long sweeping actions and i think we still struggle with that from time to time we've kind of pulled zoe into that every so often there is recorded evidence of me
2: struggling with when we were interacting with the brigadiers or buccaneers the buccaneers thank you oh yeah and i was like can i tell if this guy's lying to me and zoe's like i don't know pat can you <laughs>
0: <laughs> i don't know wayland are they lying to you
2: <laughs> like God, oh, well shit no you make a fair point i don't know <laughs>
0: evan was like quote unquote there is no insight check my dude
1: yeah so i'm right there with you man in terms of ease adjusting from other systems it's tough because i'm so comfortable with 5e but it can be really slow and slow systems especially with combat can really really bog down your energy and bog down your excitement with the game as a game the 7c system is much easier to navigate in terms of flow obviously the whole system is well done but that is something that was way remarkably easier to handle than any other TTRPG that I've played. Even still to this point, it remains one of the easiest systems to flow through in terms of mechanics, because so much of the actual mechanics, your advantages or your backgrounds or your arcana, will pop up naturally. For instance, Jesse will see something super mystical and in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, not many people have seen that before. Hey, so is that an explorer quirk that I could, uh, I could use? Can I have a hero point? She's like, you know what? Yeah, I would argue a few people have seen this take a hero point. Mm-hmm. And for advantages like an honest misunderstanding, that is just something that comes up in conversation that I just have to additionally give a hero point towards in order to make it actually happen. When you have mechanics that are so seamless in their connection to the story and to the actual session of the game, that has been a massive weight lifted off all of our shoulders in terms of ease of access. Every session there's always some moment that marry mechanics and story seamlessly.
0: For my part, what has been the most fun is watching that connection happen. I say something, and the seamless flow of, I have a mechanic for this, I'm going to use it in-game, in-character. Just that seamless, flawless flow. Watching that, for me, gives me such serotonin. It's so great. Also, watching you guys get more comfortable with the combat system... In the sense that you don't have to plan out every, what is it in D&D? Every round is three seconds. Six seconds. And so you have to like plan out everything down to the T. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Whereas this, it's an entire scene goes by. Like an entire combat happens in seconds, but it doesn't feel like that.
1: Right.
2: Very cinematic.
1: Realistically, combat probably takes a similar amount of time to D&D, if not a little bit less time. But it doesn't feel like that because you're discussing the options of what you could do as opposed to, okay, I'm going to roll 10 dice and... i got to add them all up and add my proficiency, and i got to add what kind of... Is it a magical weapon? Is it a plus one? Do I have additional stats to this? Like, am I within range? Do I have ammunition? All these extra steps, which, don't get me wrong, is very fun when you're playing D&D, when you're in a super intense fight, but 7C is not geared towards heavy mechanics. Well, the nice thing, too, is that
2: you're still figuring out certain strategies of what you're planning to do in combat, but it's more based around, oh, I have a certain amount of actions that I can take. What am I going to do with those actions? And it's less figuring out if you can do them and more what they're going to be and how creative you can get with
1: it. Yeah, we try to push the boundaries. Oh, yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. That's the most interesting part of mechanics, is how close can I push them until I am close to breaking them? And how can I break them in the most interesting way possible? Yes.
0: And honestly, I am absolutely okay with rules being broken in interesting and fun ways.
2: And 7C allows for that.
0: What is it, Jonah? They're more like guidelines, right?
1: Suggestions!
2: Thanks, Jonah.
1: (laughs) I would actually entirely agree with you, Zoe, In and Pat, you might agree with me on with her as well. I agree with everything that you guys have said. As a player, it has been really fun watching Pat grow as a player. That has been super exciting.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: vice versa. Man,
2: there's a thing that happened that I am incredibly proud of Evan for that would not have happened earlier on when we were playing. Personal player growth and then character growth with you... From a meta perspective, but also with Jesse, it has been such a pleasure to watch and be part of. I feel the same way about you and Wayland And Zoe, everything that you bring to each of the different NPCs, I say NPCs, but you're...
0: I'm technically playing them.
2: Yeah, I'm like, I don't know how to refer to them. GM characters, I guess, is the best way that I would be able to phrase that, because They're fully interactable. They are their own people. You are the person playing them. All of the different, like, personalities that you bring to them. And, I mean, we mentioned it earlier with fucking Ursa's voice. And just being able to watch you develop every single one of these characters
1: into their own is astounding. Always. Yeah, it's been fun watching every bit of character has had some form of character growth since we started. Everybody. Which is cool. It's realistic. Yeah.
0: And honestly, and to piggyback off of your comment, Patrick, it's because you two allow me that freedom. Mm-hmm. That's the story that you wanted to play with.
1: Well, dear, you know why we do that, right? What is that? We're pirates. We're all about freedom. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: will drink to that. That's going to be enough questions for this episode. Mm-hmm.
2: We answered quite a few, and we will certainly answer more as time goes on because, boy, howdy, do you guys supply us with a never-ending stream?
1: We love it. Yes, thank you so very much for your ever-growing curiosity in our stupid little game. It's wild. It's humbling. It is very humbling. And it's so wonderful how involved you guys are. And it's just... The fact that y'all care so much to ask us questions is really special. And we, we love and appreciate you. Give us something to do on random nights. We get to talk about shit that we thought about and think about constantly. That's crazy. Thank you. It's awesome being able to explore this with an audience. And it just, ah, it's wild. Not an audience, with friends.
0: You guys are our friends and we love you. With a community.
1: community. We got a rad community, y'all. We do.
0: We do have a rad community.
1: Can't wait to see it grow. Didn't ever think I'd be able to say that.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you. We love you. You guys are the best.
0: We love you a lot.
1: Ask us more questions. Bring it on.
0: Any, 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 any question. In fact, if you think about DMing the question personally to myself or to Evan or to Patrick, just go ahead and throw it in the notes with the narrator queries and we'll answer it live because that's the best way to answer
1: questions. If you would feel more comfortable to put it in the DMs, that's totally fine. Cool. We're cool with that. Also that. I will say,
2: if you do have a question... For me, it is probably better to DM Zoe or Evan and they can relay the fact to me because I am terrible at checking my Discord DMs and I am yeah. sorry.
0: Evan and I are uh are giving Patrick a come on buddy look.
1: We get it. He's busy, but, but also, also we want you to be on the Discord more often hanging out with our friends.
2: I'm aware been i have over the past couple days i have been trying to make a more concerted effort
1: you've posted twice
2: i have posted twice look at that
1: <laughs> i am very proud of you i'm yeah progress <laughs> we're making progress
2: i also run my own discord so it's keeping up with multiple
1: yeah you need a I don't know, sabbatical
2: secretary <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah 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 Or we need a clone of you, and we'll actually, we'll take the original you. They can have the clone.
0: (laughs) All right, lovely, lovely friends, listeners, crewmates, deckhands, all of you. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. We will see you on the next article or the next notes. We'll see you. See you soon. We certainly shall.
1: Well, you'll hear us. (laughs)
0: Right. You'll hear us. Maybe one day you'll see us.
1: We see some of you. To those we see, we typically hear you too. And no no. milk. Absolutely
2: none.
1: (laughs) Thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate you. We love you. Fair winds and calm seas, friends.
2: Be kind to yourselves. Be kind to others, but, you know, be kind to yourselves.
0: Be safe and well.